the awe-inspiring prayer of Shankara, the Thomas Aquinas of Hinduism, begins with the invocation, O thou before whom all words recoil. The human mind has evolved to facilitate survival in the natural world. It is adopted to deal with finite objects. God, on the contrary, is infinite and of a completely different order of being from what our minds can grasp. The yogas we have seen arose to precisely such realization. But the knowledge to which they lead transcends the knowledge of the rational mind. It rises to the deep yet dazzling darkness of the mystical consciousness. The only literary accurate description of the unsearchable of which the ordinary mind is capable is neti neti. Not this, not this. If you traverse the length and breadth of the universe saying of everything you can see and conceive, not this, not this, what remains will be God. We may begin simply with a name to hang our thoughts on. The name, the Hindus gift to the supreme reality is Brahman, which has a dual etymology, deriving as it does from both pr to breathe and pri to be great. The chief attributes to be linked with the name are Sat, Chit and Ananda. God is being, awareness and bliss. Utter reality, utter consciousness and utter beyond all possibility of frustration, this is the basic Hindu view of God. God's relation to the world likewise varies according to the symbolism that is embraced. Conceived in personal terms, God will stand and in relation to the world as an artist to his or her handiwork. God will be creator, Brahma, preserver, Vishnu, and destroyer, Shiva, who in the end resolves all finite forms back into the primordial nature from which they sprang. On the other hand, conceived transpersonally, God stands above the struggle, aloof from the finite in every respect. The world will still be God-dependent. It will have emerged in some unfathomable way from the divine plentitude and be sustained by its power. He shining, the sun, the moon and the stars shine after him. By his light all is lighted. He is the ear of the ear, the mind of the mind, the speech of the speech, the life of life, the eye of the eye. The Katha Upanishad and the Muntaka Upanishad says that. Individual souls or achievers enter the world mysteriously. By God's power we may be sure, but how or for what reason we are unable fully to explain. Like bubbles that form on the bottom of a boiling tea kettle, they make their way through the water universe until they break free into the limitless atmosphere of illumination, liberation. They begin as the souls of the simplest forms of life, but they do not vanish with the death of their original bodies. In the Hindu view, spirit no more depends on the body it inhabits than body depends on the clothes it wears or the house it lives in. When we outgrow a suit or find our house too cramped, we exchange these for roomier ones that offer our bodies freer play. Souls do the same. The Bhagavad Gita says, Worn-out garments are shed by the body. Worn-out bodies are shed by the dweller. This process by which an individual jiva 
passes through a sequence of bodies is known as reincarnation or transmigration of the soul, in Sanskrit samsara, a word that signifies endless passage through cycles of life, death and rebirth. On the subhuman level, the passage is through a series of increasingly complex bodies until at last a human one is attained. Up to this point, the soul's growth is virtually automatic. It is as if the soul were growing as steadily and normally as a plant and receiving at such successive embodiment a body that, being more complex, provides the needed largeness for its new capabilities. With the soul's graduation into a human body, this automatic escalator-like mode of ascent comes to an end. Its entry into this exalted habitation is evidence that the soul has reached self-consciousness. And with this state come freedom, responsibility and effort. Karma Karma decrees that every decision must have its determinate consequences. But the decisions themselves are, in the last analysis, freely arrived at. To approach the matter from the other direction, the consequences of one's past decisions condition one's present lot. As a card player finds himself dealt a particular hand while remaining free to play that hand in a variety of ways. This means that the career of a soul as it threads its course through innumerable human bodies is guided by its choices, which are controlled by what that soul wants and wills at each stage of the journey. What it wants are, and the order in which they appear, can be summarized quickly here, for previous sections have considered them at length. When it first enters a human body, a chiva soul wants nothing more than to taste widely of the sense delights its new physical equipment makes possible. With repetition, however, even the most ecstatic of these falls prey to habituation and grows monotonous whereupon the chiva turns to social conquests to escape boredom. These conquests, the various modes of wealth, fame and power, can hold the individual's interest for a considerable time. The stakes are high and their attainment richly gratifying. Eventually, however, the entire program of personal ambition is seen for what it is, a game, a fabulous, exciting, history-making game, but the game all the same. As long as it holds one's interest, it satisfies. But when novelty wears off, when a winner has acknowledged with the same bow and pretty little speech the accolades that have come so many times before, he or she begins to yearn for something new and more deeply satisfying. Duty, the total dedication of one's life to one's community, can fill the need for a while, but the ironies and anomalies of history make this object do a revolving door. Lean on it and it gives, but in time one discovers that it is going round and round. After social dedication, the only good that can satisfy is one that is infinite and eternal, whose realization can turn all experience, even the experience of time and apparent defeat, into splendor, as storm clouds drifting through a valley look different viewed from a peak that is bathed in sunshine. The bubble is approaching the water's surface and its demanding final release. Never during its pilgrimage is the human spirit completely adrift and alone. From start to finish, its nucleus is the Atman, the God within, exerting pressure to out like a jack in the box. Underlying its whirlpool of transient feelings, emotions and delusions is the self-luminous abiding point 
of the transpersonal God. Though it is buried too deep in the soul to be normally noticed, it is the sole ground of human existence and awareness. As the sun lights the world even when cloud-covered, the immutable is never seen but it is the witness. It is never heard but it is the hearer. It is never thought but it is the thinker. It is never known but is the knower. There is no other witness but this. No other knower but this. From the Upanishads. But God is not only the empowering agent in the soul's every action, in the end it is God's radiating warmth that melts the soul's ice cap, turning it into a pure capacity for God. What happens then? Some say the individual soul passes into complete identification with God and loses every trace of its former separateness. Others, that some slight differentiation between the soul and God will remain. A thin line upon the ocean that provides nevertheless a remnant of personal identity that some consider indispensable for the beatific vision. <music>